It's not annoying at all. It's AMSRM or whatever the fuck it's called. You know? <laughs> ASMR. Whatever. Same stupid shit. Okay. Welcome back to Death by Southwest bonus episode, episode nine. Is this? No, this is episode 10, look up list. This is part two of Isabel Celis and Maribel Gonzalez. So this was episode 10, look up list. And we had some scheduling issues with Jenna. So she had a conflict. So we have Mark standing in today for Jenna. Hello, all. <laughs> so I'm going to apologize in advance for <laughs> his lack of podcasting experience. I'm not seasoned by any means. So, That's right. You know. That's fine. You have a nice podcast voice, though. Thank you. You're welcome. And also, so a lot, so this is Jenna's lookup list. So these are the questions that she wrote down. A lot of them are actually not super specific to the episode, which is, which means that this is a perfect one for you to stand in for. But there are a few that are specific to the episode. So you may not know, you know, you may not know a ton about it. Although I think you're familiar with the story. Well, yeah, I grew up here in Tucson and I remember the initial murder that happened and there was no results. And then finally when they found the bodies, Mm -hmm. which is actually very close to where my mother lives. That's right. That's right. I actually, I talked about that. I kept a little more general though, because Jenna's very paranoid about sharing too much information. So when we were talking about like the corners where they found the bodies, the corner of Trico and South Aver Valley or whatever. And at first I said, that's where Mark's mom lived. And she looked at me and she's like, no. She's like, don't. And so then I said, people that Mark's close with live here. But I mean, realistically, that area is quite large. Like, they're not, nobody's going to find your mom's house. Well, yeah, it's like lots of acreage. What I was shocked is, you know, I heard about the case originally, and, you know, over time you forget about it, is just to find out where they were discovered because it's not. It's remote, but it's not that remote. I mean, there's tons of people who live out there and a lot of traffic. So I don't see, like, any time of day, it would be very hard to, like, dump a body and, like, get away with it. But apparently they did. Yeah. Well, he got away with it for a while. For a while. Since then, he's been caught. Um, And I have some updates on the case, actually, to share. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. We're just going to go down the line of Jenna's questions here so her first question was do you bruise when you're dead what do you think i think you do it's called lividity i believe it's when you have i may be saying that wrong but no that's that's how you say it but lividity is is how your blood it pulls like settles yeah so you won't you won't necessarily bruise but it looks like bruising when if you if you're killed and you're laid Face down, it'll be on your front side, back side, but not. But it's it's where the blood cells. You're right. It says um, lividity refers to the bluish purple discoloration of skin after death. It's a common sign associated with liver mortis, one of the four post mortem signs of death, along with pallor mortis, algor mortis, and rigor mortis. Um, and it occur, occurs within hours after death. So you're you're kind of right. Okay, so you say yes that you can bruise after death. What if you had to give a very concise definition of a bruise what would that definition be well it's a hematoma it's when 
What's a hematoma? Well, it's like impact on your body, which like, you know, as like you get punched, your body's trying to heal. So it sends blood cells there. So that's why you get the discoloration and the what? Discolorization. <laughs> and, you you know, the blood settles there. That's mm-hmm. why you get a black eye because the blood's rushing there and then you get the purple bruise or whatnot. Okay, that's pretty close. I have the exact definition to share of a bruise. So a succinct definition of a bruise is that it is a collection of blood visible to the naked eye as an area of discoloration, which has, I don't know what this word means, extravasated, extravasated, extravasated. <laughs> Spell it out, girl. <laughs> extravasated. Yeah, that's right. Extravasated into the surrounding tissues after vascular disruption, principally as a result of trauma or occasionally spontaneously as a result of disease. Bruises are typically caused by blunt force trauma, although they may be associated with any type of impact and can accompany many different types of wounds. So you're, I mean, like that was a lot of bigger words, but essentially what you said. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, you were right. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'm going to tell you the answer. I got a couple different answers to do you bruise once dead. I found several sources. Some people said no. Some people said, some sources said bruising is bleeding into a surrounding tissue and you can't bleed when you're dead because your heart isn't pumping blood. So I first read that and I was like, "Mm, okay, that kind of makes sense. And then another source said post-mortem bruising is entirely possible if the force is inflicted shortly after death, like within two hours. Yeah, like if you killed somebody and then, you know, 20 minutes later you like hit him with a baseball bat, it's probably going to show a mark. Right. So they say that like within two hours because the blood hasn't settled yet, lividity hasn't set in. Whoa. That was my big word. <laughs> and I have two, I found two case studies. These are actual cases that um, kind of illustrate that. So in case one, a 37-year-old man was found lying on the river shore and taken out of the water by a rescuer who was grasping um, at his right upper arm about an hour and a half after he died. And then uh, upon like the um, examination, the, the autopsy, yeah, the autopsy, thank you, um, they found two thumb-sized discolorations resembling antemortem bruising on on the on the surface of his right upper arm. So like them pulling him out of the water, it was even even though it was like 90 minutes after he died, there was still bruising there. Yeah, it's still kind of an aggressive move. So yeah. That makes sense. And then the other one it says a 40-year-old woman was found similarly lying in water and removed in the same way approximately an hour and 45 minutes after death. Upon examination, they also found two thumb-sized discolorations um, on the inner surface of her upper arms from where they pulled them out. So, I mean, just actual instances where these people were dead for almost two hours and then, you know, some some kind of serious force was put on their body and they did have bruising. So another question on the lookup list is why didn't they contact Valerie um, Cologne? Colone, Maribel's mom, prior to putting that they found a body on the news. So briefly, just so you know what we're talking about, is Maribel Gonzalez, the second girl who went missing and was found dead three days after she went missing, her mom found out about it on the news because they, so they found a body at at Aver Valley and whatever, um, and she was watching the news, 
her daughter was missing at this point and she'd been out looking for her, came home, turned on the news and saw that a body had been found of a young girl that was unidentified, but she had a small butterfly tattoo under her collarbone. And her mom was like, oh my God, that's Maribel. And then it was obviously confirmed through DNA after the fact. Yeah, I don't know the circumstance behind that, but it sounds like a fuck up by the police department because usually you found a, you find a body or something like that. It's unidentified, but them specifically saying that kind of gives it away. And right. I think it's, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's pretty much policy that they need to inform the family before they make it news if they have a positive id so maybe that's why they didn't that so that's it so i couldn't actually i think i think it's kind of a slip up on whoever was reporting it whoever the chief of police whoever whoever said that during the press conference is they should have just said you know uh, a body of a young girl was found unidentified and not given that identifying thing but so i couldn't find i actually couldn't find anything specific as to like Yes, that's what happened or no. But I mean, looking at it like realistically, you find a body, news outlets were alerted, whether on purpose or by accident, and they put it on the news. They didn't, she was unidentified at the time, so they couldn't alert the family. They didn't know who it was. But that tattoo let her mom know that's who it is. So it says she testified at, um, the murderer, Christopher Clements, is who was found to be the murderer. She testified at his trial last year that it was not until she turned on the TV that she found out police found her daughter's body. She recognized the tattoo on the collarbone, and then she called the police. And then they, you know, tested, and it was confirmed. Um, and the only other thing I found about this tattoo is that um, two years after her daughter was found dead, so they didn't have a killer at this point. The body had been found. She knew it was well, her daughter. How, how old was she? She was 13. She had a tattoo? Mm-hmm. Jenna said the same exact thing in the episode, but like I got my first tattoo when I was 13. Okay. Well, it's uncommon, but it happens. Well, that's kind of a dead giveaway too. Like Right. A young girl's body. Well, and it was, it was actually not a butterfly. It was butterfly wings, I guess, under her, um, I want to say under her right collarbone. Maybe it was her left, but... So this is going back. This is before they know that Christopher Clements is the murderer. But I thought this was interesting. Um, two years after her daughter's mayor. Was that a fart or a phone? I don't see any phones right now. <laughs> fart. Fart. <laughs> From Izzy. <Mom. laughs> um, so two years after her daughter was found murdered, um, her mom, Valerie, agreed to meet with a psychic on the Maury Povich show. Um, she said she was astonished to to see how much the psychic knew about her daughter. At this point, they're looking for the murderer still. And the psychic shed light on the moments leading up to her death. Um, the psychic said, whose name was Christopher Allen, said, they were actually, it was actually that I think people are used to hearing Izzy drinking water. It's fine. Um, the psychic- I feel like we're doing it in a cave, you know, it's all dripping <laughs> in the back, you know. <laughs> Well, the sound is really good in here, so we're going to go ahead and do that. Just adds atmosphere. Um, The psychic said, I think she overpowered her attacker as he was attempting to rape her. And when he realized he wasn't successful, that's when he got aggressive and she fought back. Valerie said that there was some comfort in learning that her daughter put up a fight. And the psychic said that her daughter's killer may have also murdered someone else. 
it's kind of interesting because he did murder someone else. Yeah. He murdered Isabel Sellis, the, the other six-year-old little girl. And who knows? He maybe murdered other people beyond that. But so this was before they even had a suspect. They knew nothing at this point. This was only two. This was 2016. So that was just a little piece of information I found. So next question. Robbery versus burglary. Well, I believe a robbery is when you go into a place and there's a person you rob from them. Burglary is like, you're like a cat burglar. You know what I mean? Like it's no one's home and you go and steal the jewelry or whatnot. You know, mm. like you rob a house, but you're burglarizing. You're a burglar. Which do you think is a more serious crime? R- robbery for sure. Oh, okay. You're because, right. Because anytime you, if you, if you walk into a circle K and you say, don't move and give me all the money, that's kidnapping. So you have a kidnapping charge on top of it because you're oh. stopping someone from leaving. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. You took uh, it to a whole new level. Well, I don't know. Like, it, there is like, I'm sure, like, if you walk to someone's house and they're like, there, you're like, get the fuck out. I'm going to steal your shit. Mm-hmm. Like, probably not going to get a kidnapping charge. But if you walk into a bank. And you tell every, them not to leave. And you say, nobody move, nobody leave. Every person that's in that bank, if there's 20 people, you get a kidnapping charge for oh. each one of those people. Okay. Really so, bad idea to do that. Good advice. None of our listeners are kidnappers, though. I would hope not. <laughs> okay, so you're pretty much right. Burglary involves entering a property with the intent to commit a felony. If you're illegally ent- if you're illegally entering a property, you don't even have to actually commit a felony. You just ha- have to have the intent to commit the felony. Technically, in a burglary, you could go into like your ex girlfriend's house with the intent to rough her up or steal her dog. Maybe you don't steal the dog, but you do enter the premise without her permission. That's a burglary, even if you don't steal anything. So this, um, I found this on AZ, Arizona Criminal Law Team. It says, burglary is a wide open charge. There are a hundred different ways you can commit a burglary. And there are different degrees of burglary. You could burglary a residence. You could do a burglary of a non-residential structure, a burglary of a business. And depending on the type of structure, that will either increase or reduce the seriousness of the felony. Either way, it's a felony. So that was, you were right about that. A robbery, you're right, is a much more serious crime. It it, It involves actually robbing another person, taking property from a person against his or her will. Um, you might threaten them or use force. Uh, but basically if you are intending to take their property that's or you do take property and you use threats of harm or fear then that's robbery and that's more serious yeah it's kind of interesting with robbery because like if you go into a bank and you put your hand in your pocket and you'll have a gun give me all your money Mm -hmm. they're gonna charge you with a gun charge even if you don't have one even if it's just like a finger gun it doesn't matter Wow. Because you, you presented that you had one, so it's like the intent. All oh, that the stuff. intent. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. The FBI says robbery is taking or attempting to take anything of value by force or threat of force or violence and putting the victim in fear of force. Um, in order for a robbery to take place, nothing has to actually be stolen. Oh, that's important. Uh, this, uh, a former LADA, Los Angeles DA, says robbery includes the fear of force. Um, it's a very, it's considered a violent crime. And then burglary again is just the unlawful entry of a structure with the intent to commit a felony or a theft. Um, it doesn't have, you don't have to enter with force. It's just like 
you just enter it. You haven't been invited in necessarily. Well, yeah. I mean, if you walk up to a house, you're walking down the street and the door's open, you go and steal their TV. That's still like, you know, you're robbering. You're robbing you're robbering. them. <laughs> you're robbing them. You're robbing them. And then interestingly, automobiles are not included in either. That's like a completely separate thing. It's Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. It's cool. It's a totally different thing. Totally different thing. I don't have any more information on it, so we're not going to get into it. Well, because like a house is like your, like it's a, a standing property structure. Right. And a car is like a little bit different, you know, right. it's like, eh, it's kind of a car. You can go ahead and like, take that a little bit, but right. not too much. I mean, it has a, do you think that the name Grand Theft Auto is only cool now because of the video game? Or do you think it was just a cool name to begin with? Well, I think it was a cool name to begin with. Grand I mean, obviously, Theft Auto. Well, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like cool. It sounds cool. I bet so many like teenagers steal cars just so that they can say they've like done Grand Theft Auto. Well, I actually knew like a, a guy whose name was Herbie. Mm-hmm. Interesting name, right? Total redneck. Like Herbie, at, the the like the love bug, you yeah, know Herbie. Yeah. yeah, he was a portly dude. But anyways, like him and some buddies, <laughs> like we were in high school, and like him and some buddies, like stole a truck, right? Like they stole like a newer like Chevy truck, and they, you know, they stole it in the intent to. This guy needed the tires. This guy wanted the axles. Oh, they were gonna like so take they, the they, they piece stripped it apart. It. Yeah. They stripped it, and they did a great job. But they stripped it. They tore it apart. Dumped the evidence in the Santa Cruz River, which is where everybody dumps car parts and things you want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you're such a Tucson local. But you know what this dipshit did? Hmm. He got pulled over the cops for speeding because, you know, we used to race on like Saturday night and stuff, our cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had the license plate of the truck that they stole in his truck. <laughs> it's like, dude, like, what you, that's Be a, a better grand that's thought literally, right, That's literally <laughs> that's the okay. first thing that you get rid of is... The, the registration, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, those are the numbers. So those he got caught, yeah, obviously. He got caught. But he was, like, 16, so he, you know, did some community service. I don't think he got a felony for it. I think he got away pretty clean, mm. woke him up, but it was really, really Are stupid. you still friends with Herbie? No, we weren't really that. He was kind of an acquaintance. Mm. Like, I helped, I helped him put an engine in a truck one time. It wasn't stolen as far as I know. <laughs> you have to say that now. <laughs> I don't want to incriminate myself. Um, okay. Uh, next question. I'm going to ask it to you because I already know the answer, obviously. Can you tell me the difference? Yes. <laughs> what is the difference between suffocation and strangulation? Well, suffocation is when your air, airway is restricted by like something like, you know, if you put a bag over someone's head or a pillow, right. You don't strang- have to actually strangula- like cover your mouth when you're done. Uh, I, I thought we we're on video, <laughs> but strangulation is when you restrict the airway with force. Oh, so then when you, you get more of like, I think, I don't know. I could be just shooting out of my ass, but that's um, fine. You know, you get like, there's like aneurysms and like burst capillaries that happen when you get strangulation versus suffocation. Oh, you're really getting into the medical terminology here. I watch some CSI every once in a while. Because <laughs> <stuff, yeah. laughs> I never stop putting on CSI. I know, like a professional now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not far off. So strangulation is when something gets caught around a person's neck and prevents them from breathing. Suffocation is when something blocks a person's mouth or nose or compresses their chest and this permits prevents them from breathing. So, I mean, that's the biggest difference is that strangulation, it's, you can't breathe because there's something around your neck. Suffocation, it's your mouth, nose, or chest, and that's why you can't breathe. Um, from the 
Law offices of Stephen Naiman, criminal lawyers, they say that strangulation is defined by a statute as the intentional interference of the normal breathing or circulation of blood by applying substantial pressure on the throat or neck of another person. Um, suffocation, they define as the intentional interference of the normal breathing or cir- circulation of blood by blocking the nose or mouth of another. Pretty much exactly what I just said. But both of these crimes... Um, carry an increased potential penalty when aggravating factors are present. So it's aggravated where the defendant knew or had reason to know the victim was pregnant. The defendant knew of a restraining order in effect against them or against the defendant, um, or it caused the strangulation or suffocation caused serious bodily injury, or the person doing it had a prior conviction for strangulation or suffocation, then that elevates it to like another charge. That's interesting. Cause like, it makes sense. Like if you willfully put someone in a box with no air, you yeah, know, it's kind of average. Yeah. Nightmare. Like if you're, I guess it's not like a lot of ways where oops, I accidentally did that. But it's interesting, it's interesting. <laughs> oops, I accidentally locked you in a box with no air. <laughs> but it's interesting how it's like it's aggravated even more if the person had been convicted. It's like if you've ever been convicted of strangling someone to death, like I feel like you shouldn't be available for that charge anymore because That's it's true. Kind of, you would hope that you've already been like convicted and you still have like, the opportunity to do that again. Like let's say you're I'm just throwing it out there. Let's say you're a crazy person, you're like I'm obsessed with this person. I'm going to like keep them in this room, but you mm-hmm. didn't realize that there's no ventilation. Like as a kid, you put a lizard in a jar and you like forget to put the, the holes in the My top, you know? God, I hope you never do that. That's terrible. No, I always knew that like, if you catch a little lizard, you have to give it air and water and all that stuff. Or like a firefly or a cricket. Yeah. All those things. Okay, good. But the thing is though, is that it's not really like a, Oh, whoops. I, I forgot. I, I grabbed them by the throat or rope, wrapped a rope around right. their neck and yanked It's hard to accidentally hard. Yeah. strangle or suffocate someone. This reminds me of two things that we've recently watched, actually. One is the new Criminal Minds Evolution, where, you know... Which you're obsessed with. I'm obsessed with, I love. Where the character... I think the character's real name is Joe Montagna. I'm not sure. Montagna. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he gets put in the underground thing. And remember, he keeps checking that device that tells him how much oxygen is left in there because he'll suffocate because he's in an enclosed structure with only so much, you know, you're breathing out. You can only survive for so long. And then another one, you're not going to remember this. Remember one day you came home and I was watching a new Netflix show called Kaleidoscope. And remember, each episode is like pink, violet, green. It's like a different color. Yeah, Kaleidoscope. Uh-huh. And um There was plenty of Izzy farts. Is that what you're talking about? The suffocation? <laughs> no. <laughs> Shit, I just lost what I was gonna say. There was something that happened in that show that involved suffocation or strangulation, and now I'm totally drawing a blank. Oh, I remember. Um, okay, remember the Gus Fring from Breaking Bad? Yes. His character. And then the the white dude character, they were robbing that Walter like rich. White? No, no, in Kaleidoscope, his oh, like okay. white friend, they were robbing that like older man's house, and they brought the women back, and then they went upstairs to the closet, and they were like, "We're gonna rob this safe," but the old man who they were robbing started coming upstairs. So oh yeah, Gus so he Fring locked him in the safe. Locked himself in the safe. Well, the white guy kind of like put Gus Fring got in there, and the white guy closed it. 
that could be an accidental suffocation. He wasn't trying to kill him. He was just trying to hide him. I know, but also it's during a robbery. That's true. So boom, extra charge. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's but that kind of, like that's the only unaggravated. Unaggravated. Right. Suffocation. Because you were saying Maybe like how are you going to ever lock somebody in a box accidentally? Yeah, that was in the, it. In the odd chance that you're like I just came up with an example. like someone's house <laughs> and you're like I have to lock my bro in there cuz like <laughs> we don't want him to see us, you know. But that that's a good example. It's either that or strangle the guy coming in the room. So either way, you're getting jammed up. Ooh, there's a strong Izzy fart coming your way right now. I yeah. smell it. If I get suffocated, you're getting charged. <laughs> you know? I wonder if there's like an additional charge during like a podcast or like during like a production of something, you know? Well, probably. Probably. You know? If Put there's it on money lookup to be list made three. and stuff, it's like, yeah. hey, what's going on? Like, oh, it's, it's a problem. That's right. We'll put it on the next lookup list, lookup list, lookup list. Or not. <laughs> okay, so the next one, Jenna just uh, wrote down anything else on homicide by unspecified means. So I had said in the episode that like both girls, their deaths, there was no actual cause of death or manner of death that was determined. They couldn't determine how they were killed. It could have been suffocation. It could have been strangulation. Hence the previous question. Well, let me ask you a question. The reason because of that is because the length of time between they found their bodies or... No, because, well, for the first, for Isabel, the six-year-old, she went missing in 2012. They didn't find her body until like 2017, I want to say. I don't have it in front of me. So many, many years. Um, So for her, perhaps. But for Maribel, she went missing in 2014, and her body was found three days after she went missing. So no, she was barely decomposed. But they couldn't figure out like whether it was suffocation or strangulation or anything. No, because... um, so there were no obvious injuries or wounds, like no gunshot wounds, no stab wounds, nothing like that. And and what I had explained in the episode was they couldn't determine the cause of death, because likely because of her age. She was 13 and the body um, bounces back so quickly. So if she had been strangled, she wouldn't have bruised so easily as, as a much older person. And even, and, and if she didn't die right away, her her body would have just, kind of her skin would have bounced back. It wouldn't have held on to that, those injuries as easily. And they, they couldn't, they didn't notice any, there was no obvious bruising around her neck. There was no obvious, um, uh, you know, blood vessels in her eyes that popped from being strangled. Like there was nothing obvious because when you're younger, your body doesn't hold on to injuries as, as easily as someone who's your old ripe age. Or maybe like she was injured enough that, it eventually caused her death, but didn't like, you know what I mean? Like if you suffocate someone or like strangle them enough where they're a diminished state, maybe it takes three or four hours and then your body slightly healing. Like, I don't know. This is all up in the air, but that's very interesting. Cause like, like I understand the, the first girl, like, so long so many years passed decomposed yeah yeah, decomposed like you can't figure everything out but three days i feel like they just figure it out but that's they couldn't yeah it was under so at the time it was um called homicide they believed that she was murdered because she was found well yeah your dumb body a dumped body she was found she wasn't buried actually she was just like covered up with some tires in kind of a wash basin area near avervalians or south avervalian trico Um, so they, but it was deemed at the time as homicide by unspecified means today. That's no longer how you qualify it. It is now called undetermined. And at, 
on the episode, we actually, I actually said there's a new podcast out called Undetermined, and it's all about investigating murders where the cause of death is undetermined. Um, but it's very likely that it's homicide. Well, right. They like determined that it like is homicide. Like if you're coming over to my house, murdered. I'll see you for dinner in 30 minutes. You don't show up. We don't hear from you for six weeks. And then you're found out in the desert. It's, right. it's homicide. Obvious, right. Know? So they, they did determine that it was a homicide, but they couldn't say how. Um, so homicide by unspecified means is used to categorize deaths occurring under suspicious or criminal circumstances, but a specific cause of death cannot be identified. Um, and most, so there are... Uh, Okay, so this is this is interesting. When the cause of death is undetermined, this can mean a ton of different things. It appears initially that the medical examiner simply cannot conclude how the person died. However, it's not quite that simple. The main problem is that undetermined doesn't just mean figuring out how a person died. It also is about understanding the intent behind how the person died. So even if there's substantial evidence that it was a murder, if the medical examiner cannot reconcile her findings with the intent of the death, like this person intended to kill them, it wasn't just an accident, then the cause of death will be undetermined. So it's homicide by undetermined means, or it's just undetermined. If she thinks it might have been an accident and it wasn't intentional, then it's not going to be homicide by undetermined means. It's just undetermined. Interesting. That's... Well, mm-hmm. good facts. Yeah, there's five causes of death in most states. Undetermined, natural. What do you think the other three are? Undetermined, natural. There's three more causes of death that are generally recognized. I mean, is homicide one of them or is it yep. like m- homicide, homicide is one of them. Accidental homicide? Accidental, period, is one of them. Accidental. And one more. Undetermined. No, undetermined, natural, homicide, accidental, or... Industrial. Oh, suicide. Yeah, suicide. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, that's technically a murder. You murder yourself, you know? True. You're you're dead and you're (laughs) guilty of it, you know? Come and get me, you know? Here's all the evidence. (laughs) Convict me. Hey, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Oh, come and get me, boys. (laughs) All right, so the next question was, uh, you won't know about this, I'll tell you real quick. When they were looking for Isabel Salas, the six-year-old in 2012, um, not long after she went missing, you know, there was a ton of tips coming in to the tip line and things like that. Oh, trust me, I know about it. Like, watching it was like a huge deal. Huge deal. And it went on forever, and like I said, it disappeared. They couldn't, they had no leads. Yep, no leads for a long time. But... Not too long after she went missing, a tip came in to the, well, to 911. Someone called 911 and they believed that it was Isabel because the person who called 911 said like, Isabel, who is this? Isabel. I'll have to play it for you after the fact. I played it on the episode. It's chilling. Like it really sounds, if you had no idea that this was a prank call, you would 100% believe this was her calling. She had somehow gotten in a cell phone and she was calling 911 because the 911 operator's like, hello, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, Isabel, he's coming, he's coming. And then it's like, why are you calling? And she's like, she's like kidnapped. And she's like, are you kidnapped? Or, or you know someone who's kidnapped? She's like, it's me, I'm kidnapped, Isabel. And 
and it's three calls to 911, one right after another. And it is, I mean, I actually heard it on another podcast and I was like, oh fuck, this is her. Like they, this is it. And it was two sisters who lived out near Saddle Ranch Road that prank called. They were nine and 11 years old and they saw the story on the news and they got their dad's like old cell phone that had expired, but still had the ability to call 911 and called 911 and made these like prank calls pretending to be her. Horrible. That's messed up. Oh my God. It's so fucked up. Did they find the girls? They did find the girls. They they traced the calls. They, they actually arrested the girls. Um, they estimated, so Jenna asked, did the girls have to pay back the $4,700 in police resources that were spent investigating these 911 calls? So they had more than 25 officers, including detectives from the um, sex offenders registration and tracking unit, went to the neighborhood when they traced the call. Um, and so it, it was expensive. Like they had a lot of resources into looking into this call that ended up being fucking nothing. And... Um, So they were arrested and brought down to the station. The father of the girls who wasn't home at the time, the mom was home at the time, apparently, but the father wasn't. He, when he found out, he said, keep them, like keep them down there to teach them a lesson for a little bit. So that was smart. Yeah. So they kept them for a little while. Ultimately, um, they they didn't press charges, but they're they're nine and 11. The dad, he did, he did reach out. Um, he tried to reach out to, the Salas family is the girl who was kidnapped's family and to personally apologize. He wanted to have his daughters write apology letters. And he was, he also offered to like meet with the family to apologize in person. I mean, he, he genuinely seemed to feel terrible. Yeah, they that don't his get daughters it, but he must've been mortified. Oh my know? God, mortified. Um, so for, for, there was a few days after they were arrested where the Pima County attorney's office was, debating if they were going to convict the girls or not and charge them. But ultimately charges were not um, filed. What was the charge? Like uh, falsely reporting a crime or yeah. something like that? Or mm-hmm. like bad evidence? Yep. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. But so Jenna had wanted to I mean, know. they're like, 9 11. You gotta like. Of course. Let them sit a night in horrible, jail. You know. But, but, you know, they didn't really. I don't think I they really understood they understand the it now. Exactly. That's exa- I did read something that was like terrible, but I guarantee that these girls will never make another prank call again. Like so terrible. Um, Another question was, so uh, to just catch you up, the the killer of both of these girls, of Maribel and Isabel, how he was caught was after Maribel was, her body was found, they didn't find the killer for years. Isabel at this point had already been missing for years. They didn't know whether she was dead or alive. They had never found her body. That was in 2012. Isabel went missing. 2014, Maribel went missing. She was found three days later. But for several years still, they had no no leads, nothing. And Isabel, no body. They just thought she was out in the world. So how'd they get the guy? So they got the guy because um, they got a tip in, I think it was 2017, that um, from his ex-fiance who said when... Uh, Chris, my ex-fiance, Christopher Clements, was in jail. He was in jail for burglary. Um, he wrote me a letter saying that he had information about Isabel Salas's whereabouts, where her body was. And at this point, they didn't even have a body. They had no idea. And so she called the FBI, gave them this tip. They went and found him. He was either in Pima County or Maricopa County Jail, serving like a 20-year sentence for burglary. 
and they, this is, I'm sorry, I'm doing this all from memory because I don't have the actual episode in front of me, but they talked to him and um, they talked to an old cellmate of his and the cellmate was saying like, oh yeah, he talked about these girls all the time. They ended up searching his home, whatnot. Basically, he said to these cops, these FBI agents, when they first interviewed him, he said, yeah, I do know where Isabel Salas is. I had nothing to do with it, but I know where she is. And yeah, I need he was you. trying to get a reduced sentence. And they did. He said, I need you to release my car that you impounded. And I need you to drop my burglary charges in Maricopa County. And then I'll lead you to her body. And they said, fine. And I have the like actual order from the judge I found online. And they did. And he did. He led them to the body. And it was within walking distance of where they found Maribel's body. They found her body um Nobody led them to it. A, a woman who lived out there saw drag marks through the sand and she called the police and said, it looks like somebody has been dragged through the desert here. And they went out and searched and found her body, but they didn't find a killer for many years. But it was that close. They didn't find the other body. No, not buried, right? No, uh, it was. Well, it had been years at this point. Her body was pretty disintegrated. Guess that's true. So, you know, I mean, like rain and this and this. So whether he buried it or not in the beginning, who knows? But at this point, it, was, it wasn't it was like laying out there on the surface. We're, we're years in now. Um, and so that was the 13-year-old's body. They Somebody saw the drag marks. They found the body very quickly. Isabel, we're now years and, you know, five years and nobody knows. And so he said, when they went to talk to him after his fiance tipped them off. He said, yeah, I know exactly where she's buried. I, I, I have nothing to do with it. Drop my charges. I'll take you to it. They dropped the charges. He took them to the body. They found the body. And then he was immediately put back in jail for burglary charges in another county. So it was Maricopa. And then he went to Pima County or vice versa. I can't remember. Um, and after he was then put in jail again for the next burglary, they started really looking into him and they searched his home and his electronics and everything and then found lots of evidence. Granted, it was kind of all circumstantial, but lots of evidence that made it seem very likely he was. Did the he murderer. explain why he knew where the body no, was? No, he said, from? I won't tell you. He said, I can't tell you why or how I know, oh, but I like just know. Oh, because he's a rat in jail and like someone told yeah. him and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but when he told, when he was brought in for questioning, he told police there's, there's actually, or he told his ex-fiance in that letter, there's four bodies buried out in the desert at South Africa Valley in Trico that I know about. I'm not saying I had anything to do with any of them, but I know the bodies are there. Well, we know he has to do with two of them. Definitely. So he went on, uh, again, everyone else has already heard the episode who's taking the time to listen to this bonus. So I'm sorry, you're a little bit. I'm not giving you all the information, but he went on trial for the 13 year old's murder uh, about two years ago, was convicted, got life in prison. They, um, they severed the murders, which means that he was going on trial for each, even though he was convicted of both murders, instead of trying him all in one, they were trying him separately. So he was tried for Maribel's murder two years ago, was convicted life in prison without parole. He already had like a 30 year old burglary sentence that he was serving. And then, just last week on February 14th, his trial began for Isabel here in Tucson. And so when we recorded this episode, it hadn't happened yet. Um, so one of the questions that Jen had written down was, what about the other two bodies? We know Maribel and Isabel were two of the four. What about the other two? I searched high and low. I could find nothing. But I did find some additional interesting information that has happened since his trial started 
just last week, which may not be interesting to you, but might be interesting to listeners. Um, so his ex-fiance took the stands. She she took the stand in Maribel's case. She also took the stand uh, last Friday for Isabel's case. And this is new information. She said that Christopher asked her to look when like all this is going down in 2017. He was in jail already for burglary. Uh, he contacted her and said, can you look under a rock in the front yard of our old home? I have a handwritten note there and I need you to get rid of it. She did. She found it and she destroyed it without taking a picture of it. And the note reportedly had Isabel Salas's name on it and some type of location information about where she was, which if he found out this information in jail, he couldn't have possibly put that, you know what I mean? Like that was. It's weird that the fiance is like still in contact. She's like, oh yeah, you want me to bury evidence? No problem. Well, this was years ago. This was like 2017. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's still weird though. It is. Hey, can you like, you know, we used to live here. Can you get rid of this handwritten note that I buried here? It's not a problem. I'm in jail, well, but he, don't get, just get rid of it. Well, he was in jail at that point just for burglary. She had no idea. I mean, idiot. I agree with you, actually. Idiot. He also, she, this is, she. he had like folders on his iPad that were like locked with, that they eventually opened that had pictures of like, you know, half naked 10 year old girls from around Tucson and just like super disturbing stuff and from the I said this in the episode but like the night that Maribel the 13 year old went missing the, him and his fiance had a huge fight and he went out he like left he was like fuck you and left and didn't come home until early morning the next morning and when he got home he was like he had mud on his shoes and stuff and he took out he came in he took off all of his clothes and he gave them to her he said i need you to wash everything and then after i take a shower i need you to wash the, sh- the shower curtain as well and use bleach and clean everything up and clean up all my footprints around the house and so he took a shower changed clothes and then got in his car and left again at like 6 a.m or something the next morning while his fiance was like, okay, let me wash all your clothes and the shower curtain and clean the mud. I feel like she's an accessory. I, I mean, After I would fact, think you know, so. Yeah. But she claims like, I didn't know. I just, I was scared of him. So I just do whatever he asked me to do. Yeah. And that's also the that's testimony. Kinda makes... They kind of write you off. Like you didn't really do anything. You didn't do anything. Right. But you kind now, of now, did you, now you're giving us information. Yeah. You know? It's kind of bullshit, but. So, um, so the note that was found under the rock, this is just last week at Isabel's trial. Um, Christopher Clement's attorney said there was no proof that it ever existed because his ex-fiance never took a picture or anything like that. They also, um, after his ex-fiance took the stand, prosecutors called Tucson Police Department Detective Eddie Orozco to the witness stand. He was there when Isabel's remains were found off Aver Valley and Trico Road in Pima County. Um, the during his testimony, the state showed pictures of Isabel's remains, and in that moment, her family left the courtroom and they came back in afterwards. But they, they just didn't didn't want to see any of these pictures. Um, this is all new information to our listeners. I didn't share this in the in the episode, obviously, because the trial hadn't started. So, in addition to Isabel's skull and other remains, investigators sa- said that they found a blanket. And during the detective's cross examination. Um, Christopher Clements, so the the murderers or alleged murderers, did, uh, lawyer said, when you told Isabel's father, Sergio, who was a suspect for a while, uh, 
not officially, but people were suspicious. When you told her father that her remains were finally recovered, um, did he show any emotion? And the detective said he showed no emotion. He never even asked where the remains were found. Um, And the only time that he showed emotion was after he realized that the discovery of his daughter's remains after like five, six years at this point was that it would impact him being able to perform in the opera that night because he was an opera singer here in Tucson. Yeah. Whoa. So so all that's to say that the alleged murderer, Christopher Clement's attorney, is trying to now put, you know, suspicion yeah. back on the dad. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's weird. It's like, oh, at the, the opera in Tucson? Like, I guess I'm not. Arizona aware. Opera. They do a lot of stuff in Phoenix, but it's the Arizona Opera. I mean, opera this is many do. years later, but still, like, it well, should. This aff- was last week. This should affect your performance in the opera. You of know? course it should. Fuck the opera. He'd be like, Who I'm not performing the opera. I found my child's remains. Yeah. Now I have to deal with Well, and they also song. brought up at the trial last week that it's so interesting. You, you're probably going to be interested to hear this now after the fact, but like there's a 911 call from Isabel's dad the morning. You know, he puts her to bed at night, wakes up the next morning. She's gone. Her screen is popped out. She's nowhere to be found. He calls 911 and, his, and he calls his wife first and she works at TMC. And she immediately comes home. She gets home from work and her son is also on the phone and she takes the phone from him and talks to him one. And I have both of those 911 calls and you hear Sergio, the dad's call him one. It's like, hi, um, my daughter was abducted from her bedroom and I don't know why. I don't know. The 911 operator is like, well, why do you think she was abducted? He's like, I don't know why. It's like very calm. And the mom's call is like, Oh my god! I didn't even think about her. It's like hysterical, hysterical. And so they also brought that up during the trial last week. That like the dad—that's super suspicious, which it was at the time. But they, you know, people handle grief or like situations differently. People are calm. That's what John said. It, but it is weird when you know, and there's circumstances that have happened where it's like that's just the way a person handles something. Sure, that's like true. Like being super hysterical. It seems to be, it's fine. Like you can be that way. You can't, but just be like, like if I don't my daughter have, was abducted, I don't have any children. But I'd be like, someone broke into the house. Like my kid's missing. The screens popped out. Someone That's it. get out. Oh like, my god! What the fuck? Like you stop. need to get out there. Okay, stop. Like call all the cars. Let's let's get this done. Like okay. I'm freaking out. Like I'm. I would be more pissed than anything. I'd be like. I'd be super concerned, but I'd be super pissed. Okay, but like, you just said something you that's need to do super it right now. You just said something that's super important because the biggest question, and they had like a um, like a speech or conversational analyst analyze Sergio's call at the time, and we, me and Jenna talked about this because when he called nine one one, the first thing he said is, "My daughter's been abducted." He didn't say missing. He didn't say not in her bed. And you just now, just like talking freely, you were just like spouting off. And you said, "My my kid's missing," because that's the normal thing to say. Why the fuck would you say abducted? You don't know that they've been abducted. Maybe they ran away. And so people thought that was really, really weird. I still think it's weird. I don't think he did it, but I think it's weird. Well, I mean, it's weird, but you could also be like, the screen's out. She's very young. She's not sneaking out. Like the right. thir- the 13 yeah. year old's like, okay, maybe she's sneaking out. French totally. the screen. She's going out, hanging yeah. out with her friends. Yeah. Six year old's like, eh. Six year old's probably but not. But still, it's like missing. Like that's missing seems it's to be. It's a normal thought process yeah. of saying it's missing. 
you're this person's missing. They're not yeah. they're not Abducted. where they're supposed to be. It yeah. seems weird. It doesn't make sense. Yep. But still, the high alert is always there. Like, hey, you know, my friend I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, he like, didn't sound concerned. And the only other thing that is new information to this is that detectives, I don't know why this was never released, because when we recorded this, I never saw this anywhere. But this came up in the trial last week. The detectives found Isabel's handwriting on the inside wall of her closet and found little written notes on the inside wall of her closet that said, I don't like dad. Dad is bad. What? Yeah. I mean, again, doesn't look great, but also could mean nothing. Well, you, yeah. I mean, I didn't like my dad sometimes either, you know? So, but the lack of concern was, but we can't speculate or anything yeah. like that. But it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, because Sergio was ultimately not that's her dad. He was never named as an official suspect, and obviously now there's somebody else on trial for her murder. Who I do believe, like, oh, I know exactly where the body is. And at the time, he'd also said, I know how she was murdered, but I can't tell you, and I had nothing to do with it. I mean, fuck off, dude. Of course, you did this. Well, yeah, and then there's also... Wash all my clothes and my shower curtain. Yeah, I mean, that's... Like, come on. Don't forget the bleach, you know? Right, and he lived within a mile... So they lived within a... Isabel and Maribel didn't know each other, but they lived within like a mile, mile and a half of each other. And then he also, at the time of each of their abductions, which were two years apart, lived within like a half a block from each of them. Like, come on. That's some evidence, Right, so... But like you said, going back to like people's reaction to things, like... When I had my rock rock climbing accident when I was 17, like everybody said, like everybody was concerned, you know, that he's going to the hospital and all this stuff. And it's a different scenario. I wasn't missing, but it's, you know, they told my parents I was going to die. Right. My dad was freaking out. Everybody said my mom was just like, okay, so like, where do we go? Like, is, do we check in with the front desk? You know, everybody, like, <laughs> I can totally see that. She's just like so chilled, you know, she's like, totally see she's that. Like, so do we like, you know, validate the parking, whatever? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay. You know, people handle the things differently, but that's a, that's, that's a different scenario though. It is a different scenario. If, if someone's like your loved one has been injured and they're probably going to die, you need to get to the hospital. That's like one thing, like you process that in a way you can be hysterical or you can be like, straight to the point, let me get a cab, let me drive myself, whatnot. But you just like wake up in the like in the middle of the night, you like go check on in your In the morning, yeah. Yeah. 8 in, the mo- in the morning gone. you're like, hey I'm making pancakes. Your six year old's gone. And the window's open and your child's gone. Like that's a freak out moment. Like no matter how smooth you are, like you're smooth on the phone. Like you're like, hey, th- there's no way this is not a problem. So we need to get on this immediately. It's funny. Like I think in the initial episode, I talked about you because Jenna said, I think she made a comment about typically the genders. She said it doesn't always relate to genders. She said, but I think that sometimes like women have a tendency to like panic more or freak out more. And then she was kind of, I can't remember exactly, but she was kind of like, well, maybe not. I don't know. But sometimes I think gender. And I was like, and then we both kind of came to the conclusion that also it's the type of person. I think I used you as an example. And I said like, you know, if Henry or Izzy, Again, and we made a big point of this in the episode to say we're not comparing dogs to children. I know people hate that. We're not saying it's the same thing. It's a completely different thing, but it's the closest thing that I can relate. And I had said, like, if Henry went missing, I feel like you would be very like, okay, this is what we need to do. And I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And like, you wouldn't like 
freak the fuck out. Whereas I would immediately cry and I would also be like, okay, we, what are we going to do? We have to do this. And I go look for him, but we react, we react in, in difficult situations differently. Yeah, not saying one is right or wrong, but it's just different. It'd be different ways, but. And I don't think it has know, to do with gender. That has to do with personality. It does have to do with personality. Like I said, like my mom has always been like cool in situations like that. Like she, yeah. sorry, mom. <laughs> she freaks out. Like, it's like, oh shit, you forgot the milk, you know, when we're kids. Like, it's like, oh shit, that's a big ass deal, you know? Instead, so like, they're like, someone just got sawed in half. She's like, well, can they put them back together? Like, <laughs> like how much is it going to cost? You know what I mean? Let's just get it done. Oh, so she's real cool under yeah, like extreme, extreme situations. Pressure, 100%. Oh, that's like, interesting. slightly not happening her way. She's very A little bit of a freak it. out, you know what I mean? Got it, got so it. So it just, it just kind of depends on your situation. But like I said, in that situation, like... Like, I don't have kids as well, but I have nieces and nephews. Like, if my nephew was over my house staying the night, we had a little slumber party, watching a movie, and I woke up and he was not in his bedroom yeah. where I put him to bed and the the door was open, I'm immediately calling 911. Probably, I don't know how I'd feel. Probably a little freaked out, but I'd I be feel, like, listen. I think you'd be a lot freaked out. I'd be a lot freaked out. I'd be able to communicate well yeah. over 911, but right. I'd be like in my truck searching the neighborhood in case he like got out. He's wandering around. It's like crazy right. or something. Well, okay, so that makes sense because when Sergio called- But I sure as shit wouldn't be like, is this going to affect my opera performance? That's well, and that was later. So, that was when her remains were found. I know, but it's so bad looking yeah, at you. Yeah, it does. Do, like, I agree. Even if you're not guilty, like, it be emotionally responsible. You know? Well, and what was interesting in the episode, we said that like- the day after she went missing, the mom and the dad went down to the police station to just answer questions and talk to them. And one of the final things that Sergio said to the police that day, day after his six-year-old is gone and not been found yet, 24 hours missing, he said like, so when is it appropriate to get back to normal life? Because our sons have softball games. She had two brothers. He's like, our sons have softball games that we like we kind of need them to go to. And people looked really poorly upon that. And I will say that Jenna played devil's advocate and she was like, well, they have two other kids to think about that he wants to not disrupt their lives and like kind of keep their lives normal. Yeah, keep it normalized to, right. so that they but have like, less grief. It is, it is it is, true though. I can understand like Jen's thought. Like I, I don't always play that, but it is true. Like some people when stuff happens, like and sometimes when they're really calm and cool and collected, it's because of shock. Yeah. And sometimes people seem cold or That's true. unemotional like they don't it seems like they don't because they don't know they don't know how to process it, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's just like in any situation where there's uh you know, like mortality, like, you know, warfare something like that, like some people can process what happens in a way where they seem all together and they don't handle as well. Other people will shut down. So it's Whoa, Henry's like, be done Henry, with this recording. Henry would never shut down. He's He'd always angry. have to say something. Henry, you know what's really... F- Henry, come here. You know what's really funny is that why, you're pretty good at this. I'm not going to lie. You have good um, mic etiquette, but except for when you really get into talking and then you take your <laughs> mic hand and you're like this and you're talking around and well, you're moving the mic well, around. I talk, I talk with my hands, you know. I'm well aware, but you're going to have to talk with your other hand, your non-mic hand. If this ever happens again, but you've done a really good job. It'd be dope if I learned American sign language, because then I could like, I'd be like, this is, yeah, exactly. I'm all, this is for a purpose. I'm not just like crazy. It's super unuseful on a podcast though. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) 
Well, we could have, we could have the little picture window and like that's I'm true. All we, doing could yeah. we could have Zoom. We could have Zoom. Well, I think the dogs both are needing to go out, and that is the end of my questions for the lookup list. So, you've done a very lovely job. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for coming, and or I guess we're at your house, so thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Besides the farts and and bed. The dogs are done, I think, more than anything. Though. Yeah, like, the dogs are like, finish up. We could sit here and talk forever, honestly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, and thank you, listeners, for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, you know that we have our Google Forms on our um, link tree. Please, please, please leave us a comment on Apple uh, Podcasts. Leave us a review. And otherwise, this is coming out. Oh, it's Sunday night, so this is coming out late tonight. So guess what? New episode tomorrow morning, um, bright and early, and we will talk to you soon. And thanks for having me on as a guest. You're welcome. Enjoy this wherever you download your podcast from. (laughs) I always wanted to say that. (laughs) That was really professional. I don't think we've ever said that actually. So good job. (laughs) In a world where podcasts are free. (laughs) Podcasts are free. I know it was a joke. It's a movie thing. Podcasts are free, except for, you know, we recorded on video the other night, and we think we're going to put that on our Patreon, though, I don't know. Recording on video is a nightmare. It's, it opens up a whole, like... Yeah, yeah, but pull together. You can't just, like, act however you want. You I know. know. It's, it's uncomfortable. Anyways, um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow for the new episode, episode 11, and then we'll be back next week with a new lookup list, likely with Jenna. Unless all of you like Mark Batter. <laughs> Please comment below. Um, okay. Bye, guys. Say bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>